One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captains Podcast and we appreciate you taking the time to have a listen. I'm Owen McDevitt. This is Kieran Murphy. Hello there, Owen. Hello there, everybody. A little later today, we'll have Ken Erdy and his first football show from Sao Paulo. He's arrived safely and will join us in a little while to tell you what's coming up on that one. We're bringing you a bunch of extra shows in case you haven't heard this brilliant news throughout the World Cup. So there'll be World Cup shows Monday to Thursday, every day, on top of our two all-sports shows on both Monday and Thursday. That's six shows altogether. Murph checked with the internet last week. They're ready to handle mm. it. So we're ready to They've hired them. someone. <laughs> They've hired him an at intern. the internet. He's going to... To make sure that the internet <laughs> doesn't break given all of the audio we're about to give it. If you heard Ken's farewell show earlier this week, you will have heard us talking about the practice of many World Cup coaches of filling their squads with happy campers and leaving behind more talented but less socially amenable mm. characters if you call them that the idea here is that it could not be possible to win a big sporting event unless your entire squad is playing acoustic guitar and singing kumbaya every night <laughs> toasting a few marshmallows Murph mm-hmm. this practice is a nonsense and I'm going to tell you how I know I was watching game 3 of the NBA finals last night okay. San Antonio Spurs at the Miami Heat when a couple of short inserts popped up this can only happen in basketball the game has already restarted and then you're watching interviews with players which have been recorded during the show. But there were sound bites from two of San Antonio's key men, Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili. In these clips, both players were talking about Tim Duncan, their esteemed teammate. Now, Duncan is the one man on that uh, roster, as they say, who's been at the club even longer and achieved even more success than Parker and Ginobili. Both players, both Parker and Ginobili, in these tiny little inserts, Mm -hmm. said that when they first joined the Spurs, Duncan didn't speak to them. Now, I don't just mean he ignored them for the first week, which is fairly standard practice I'd imagine he didn't speak to them for the entire first year they were there and this is basketball the squads aren't big he didn't speak to them at all yeah Duncan felt that they needed to earn his respect Okay, he needed, they needed to earn his respect yeah, Okay, and he wasn't going to give it to them and what's the point in talking to these as Tony Parker said I was a 19 year old point guard from France yeah, I wouldn't I, talk to him. I wouldn't talk to the guy from France. I'll give you that. <laughs> he, he did say that Duncan probably didn't think that I was going to help him win any more championships. Let's just put it that way. But <laughs> that my point is, is, yeah, it's the secret to success is the opposite of a collegiate atmosphere. What you need is 
everybody on edge wondering whether the big man on campus likes you or not. Yeah. Well, I think I think really to to win a World Cup, you might need several big men on campus. Maybe six to seven people who are really, really not nice people at all. And then that permeates through the entire squad. So there's six, at, at, at any given moment, you're afraid to sit down beside <laughs> six or seven people at the dinner table mm. for a full month. We've got six or seven Tim Duncans there. Yeah, I think that's what you need. The point I mean, the I think, I, made. To be honest, I think the San Antonio Spurs, they need to shake that organisation up a little bit. Yeah, they possibly do. The commentators had a conversation after that. And I won't labour this point too much, but I, f- I found it interesting in which one of them said, oh, that's Tim Duncan being a leader and trying to get the best out of these men. Yeah, yeah. And one of the other commentators said, hang on a second, Kobe Bryant does it to his teammates and everyone says he's in, Yeah, you know what? <laughs> and they said, oh yeah, well that, that's true. <laughs> but it's just the way the media builds up different characters in different ways. But in studio, very shortly, Murph, is going to be a man, we have no doubt this guy's a nice guy mm-hmm. and he talks to, he'll talk to anyone. Boxing's Andy Lee. Yeah. Um, knockout artist Andy Lee. Yeah. The knockout king, uh, knockout of the year. I think you can hand over the award to him right now. Well, he was John Jackson uh, was on the receiving end after yeah. dominating or certainly knocking Andy down in the first round and looking like he might have been moving in for the kill in the fifth before Andy took him out of there. Eating one of the great punches mm. of probably the last couple of years. And we, I, we've spoken already on Monday about just how good the punch was. So I'll be interested to hear Andy's own thoughts yeah. on throwing a punch that sweet. And on the reaction to it, what, Huge, what sort yeah. of impact that has had on him, uh, seeing the coverage that he got. His, he was trending on Twitter in the US. Uh, a lot of people saw the fight. A lot of celebs are at the fight. We might get to that a little bit later mm-hmm. on. So he impressed a lot of important people, did Andy Lee. Uh, we're going to talk about the biggest story of the GA Championship so far. I think it's pretty fair. It's only June the 12th, so there's not too mm. much competition. But the Nash proofing of the game of hurling. Chrissy O'Connor, former Clare goalkeeper, has pretty much written the book but he has written the book on hurling goalkeeping the book is called Last Man Standing and we will chat to him a little bit later on and we're going to have a chat about Rory's chances at Pinehurst the US Open starts later today the brilliant Lawrence Donegan will be available on that but in studio is Andy Lee I'm delighted to say Andy thanks for coming in yeah thank you very much for having me in you described it as the best knockout of your career immediately afterwards are you sticking with that now? Uh, certainly up there probably alongside Carl Daniels um, which was early in my career but this one is probably sweeter because of the occasion the venue the big garden and the the pressure I was under in the fight and that it was so out of the blue kind of a punch so yeah this one definitely you do have to consider all those things so you wouldn't necessarily consider just purely for the the way that you pulled it off it was also the circumstances the pressure you're under you'd been knocked down in the first round and this guy was going after you yeah well the Daniels one was I think a cleaner hit a cleaner connection and the way he fell in the centre of the ring was was pretty spectacular. But I'd saying that he was an older fighter, probably coming to the end of his career, um, a great fighter still, but coming to the end of his career, and I had been winning the three rounds, you know, up until that point. But with Jackson, I was you know losing, and uh, he was coming on strong, and he was looking to finish me. And at that point, he probably you know if he had landed maybe number five or six, maybe ten punches, he would have finished me. Mm. But uh, I finished him. You'd been, <laughs> you'd been knocked down in the first round. That was it the first time you've ever been knocked down as a professional. Yeah. Proper time, yeah. granite chin here, yeah. Andy. That's amazing. I know, yeah. 35 fights and down once. and uh, But he caught me. I think, you know, he caught me. I didn't even see the punch. All I knew, I was, on my, I was sitting on my backside and looking up at the ref, counting. And uh, 
Well, as soon as I got to my feet up, my head was clear. You, you, know? you seemed yeah, to be back pretty, clear. Up, up pretty quick. The fact that it was the end of the round, like it was the last 10 seconds of the round, kind of helped me as well. Yeah, was that was that just shocking, the fact that you'd never been knocked down before? Did it take you maybe a round just to clear your head and say, right, okay, it's happened, I can't do anything about I it now? Fu- um, uh, the one thing, and not to, like, to be... I was pretty impressed with myself in defense, in in the sense of my composure with the whole thing. You know, uh, I was down on the I was down on the canvas, and then I was down on the scorecards. But I knew there was plenty of time in the fight. You know, um, and and that's just an exp- from experience. I knew there was a long way to go, and I knew he was young, and he was getting uh, greedy in some sense, and that he was you know he, he was exchanging with me. And when we were exchanging, I was quite happy about it because I knew. There was a chance I was going to catch him, you know. Um, he was quick and he was heavy-handed when we were boxing, and he was getting the better of the exchanges. Even though I was probably boxing more consistently through the round, he would open up and then we would exchange, and he would get the better of it. So, um, with it, like with each exchange, it was almost becoming like a fifty-fifty trade-off, you know. And, and I was happy with those odds. We've all seen the punch, I'm sure, at this stage. Everybody listening uh, it went viral, uh, Andy, but. Can you describe it for us as you saw it? It was we were trading on the ropes, um, and I've noted like at the time I I, I didn't obviously I've, since I've rewatched it. So while it was happening, I knew we were trading on the ropes. Um, yeah, maybe it's the way to do it. Describe it as it happened, yeah. and then describe it as you've watched it back. Well, as it happened, we were trading on the ropes. We were both punching. He was landing better shots than me. I moved off the ropes and I rolled my ankle, and I was in my mind I was thinking, oh shit. I don't know if I can say. No, you're all right. Yeah. Shit yeah. out my ankle. <laughs> I've rolled my ankle. Everyone's going to think I'm hurt from the punch, you know, because that's it's a similar movement. If you see someone get hurt, the leg kind of goes or wobbles mm-hmm. and it looks like they're hurt, but I actually rolled my ankle. And then he came running in and it probably helped me that I rolled my ankle because he would come in like looking to finish me, started a right hand from too far a distance. And I didn't even think about it. It wasn't in my mind. I didn't make a decision. I just reactionary through a right hook and it landed right on his chin and uh, as soon as I connected he was on the ground he was going down and I was walking and I knew straight away and even though I knew it's the same with the Daniels one and other knockouts you know straight away you're walking away but you want it to be over and you're hoping he doesn't get up and you even though you know it's over, you still like it's hard to believe. You, even though you know you like I was celebrating, and I was saying, "I hope he's still down. I hope he's still down." You know, and <laughs> that was it was weird. But like since I've watched it, I was actually very. Uh, I have to say, I'm blowing my own only. I'm very impressed with myself. <laughs> well, just thinking about like my recent fights and the difference that I've made, and the improvements I've made. Like he had me against the ropes in a bad position, and he was punching. From a from a height with his chin kind of and his head staying at one level and one height and where I was punching and and dropping my head with each punch doing what you should do in that position and that was something that I've been working on with Adam and something that I've never really done in the past and I was doing the right things and then he kind of he was kind of punching we were trading neither was landing clean and then he pushed me through the ropes my backside went through the ropes. And I had to kind of get to my feet and reorganize. And as I did that, he hit me with a pretty good uppercut. And then I moved off and cleared the distance. And then I rolled my ankle. And then, as I saw from the he starts his punch from too far out, and I catch him. But, um, like I was pretty, like I was happy with my composure. Composure the, the word. Yeah. That, this is the thing, and I we mean, all know what the bravery it yeah. takes. And that's uh, don't think anyone else in this room will be getting in a ring for loving their money. But that's a given. You also have to show it. And Adam Booth. 
I saw one of his tweets was that you'd shown. I think he said power and composure was what one day was what one day. Yeah, we spoke about it, and but even like in, after the fourth round, I was set, came back to the stool. Like the commission must have been pretty worried because the guy who like who oversees the fight, he was like saying, "Are you okay? You feeling all right?" You know, in in between the rounds, I'm saying, "Yeah, I'm totally fine." And I asked Adam. I said, "What? How do you have the fight scored?" He said, "I have you three points down." He said, you got to do more, you got to be more active. But he said, don't get desperate yet. And that's exactly what was going through my mind. Because the ring car guy walked by at the exact same time and I see round five. And I said, okay, there's time left, there's plenty of time in the fight. And if I needed to, I can get, I can kind of walk him down and try and, you know, switch something and have a, just go. You know, it's always my attitude and it's probably sometimes to my detriment that if I'm losing, I'm never going to lose a fight in points. I know that for a fact. I can tell you right now, I'll never lose a fight in points because if I'm losing a fight in points with one or two rounds to go, I'm going to give everything and go all out to either stop the guy or be stopped in doing so. And that's what kind of, with Chavez in the first rear fight, you know, that was kind of my downfall because I knew I was getting tired. I knew I was going to fade. And uh, so I took a chance in trying to knock them out and in doing so, I got stopped myself. So. Yeah. That's just my attitude. I, I'd prefer to go out with my shield, you know. It's really interesting because all the way through the ranks and getting into the professional game, we would have known you as a, a stylist, really. Yeah, you got, you got yeah, a boxer yeah. more than a puncher, but now it sounds as though you're, you're the Brooklyn brawler. I know, yeah. It's mad. And, like, I've had four fights on HBO and every one of them has been blood and guts. But I'm not. <laughs> I'm a technical boxer, you know what I mean? I'd like to call it, like, uh, the Irish gaddy or something, you know. <laughs> but no, I am, like, and I look... and and. and some people say, oh, this is one of the sweetest victories. And it's not in the sense, because it's not one of the sweetest victories, because he outboxed me. And that's something I, t- I pride myself on, and that if, if it's a boxing match purely, I'll beat most guys. But this, like, Jackson, fair play to him. And uh, So the fact you're me. getting, yeah, and the fact you're getting maybe dragged into these sort of fights, is it maybe, could, could, do you see it yourself as both, both a strength and a weakness? That a weakness in the sense that maybe you shouldn't be dragged into it but a strength in that when you do get in there bar a couple of fights and, you know, and the Vera one maybe was the, is the standout one you usually get through them yeah well now I'm well equipped um, with the last two years of you know working with Adam and investing in that side of, of boxing of close range that I'm I have the tools to handle it there and I'm sure everyone will everyone will see that my future opponents will be seeing that now and they, they won't be as keen to come in as well but I know, like, I know what you're saying. Um, I, for me, in the ideal world, all, all of them would be technical, but it's my opponent's will to get get me involved in a brawl. And sometimes I'm too eager to get it you know, to oblige him. But what can you do? It's, you know, it's easy to have all the best laid plans. But yeah, is 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 that kind of a you know is that kind of nearly a tempo thing where you kind of end up fighting it on their terms rather than on your own terms? Is 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 that kind of how that develops or? It's their will, and they want to force me back. And I think the mo on me is get him to the ropes, get inside, and work, work him. You know, rough him up because he's a stylish boxer. And if you get it, he can't fight on the inside. And that's that's what they're trying to do. And if you could do that in the past, basically you'd beat me. But now, and I, I, I believe I'm strong there. And that's basically like I feel just as comfortable there as I do on the outside of you know in boxing. 
Andy, I heard you on an Irishman Abroad podcast with Jardeth Regan a few months back, and you were talking about the Craig McEwen fight, and this is the one where it was it was a full-blown crisis you were involved in that night, as you described it yourself. <laughs> you said you got to a point in the eighth or the ninth round where you made a conscious decision. You said, the word I just said was no. In my mind, I said no. If he's going to beat me, he's going to have to kill me. And I just started walking forward and blocking punches. It sounds like you've alluded to it earlier on that maybe you made a similar decision this time around. Yeah, but in this... I never had that desperation in this one. So, no, I might have got to that point had it gone on a few rounds, but I never had got to that desperation. With the McEwen fight, it was, um, you know, a pivotal point in my career, my first fight in HBO, and had I lost that, I would have I would have been in the wilderness. And and not and similar to where Craig McEwen is right now, you know, he's in, back in Scotland and can't really get anything going for him. And it probably be all be traced back to that night in, in Connecticut, you know, 2011, but... Um, I never got to that point in this fight because it was still only fifth round but had it gone it could have been <laughs> after the knockout but the adrenaline seems to, I can only imagine I can't even imagine what it must be like when you're jumping around the ring like that it's a funny one in that your opponent is down and he looks like he could be potentially hurt and when people listen to you we know that you're a nice guy and I'm sure you care for people in general and maybe you have to just shut that down in that moment but does, was there a moment where you thought I, I better stop here and just make sure he's okay yeah it was that but it was after a good good old celebration <laughs> you know, I, I can't believe the way I reacted but it was just pure adrenaline like I, I think I was screaming into the camera and into the crowd and I can't remember what I was saying but I was so hyped up and I was, I was flexing my muscle and I was Ronaldo was in the crowd That's, and there yeah, were quite yeah, a few yeah. people making the comparison. <laughs> well, Cristiano yeah, Ronaldo was, he was there. Yeah, 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 and yeah. sort of your pose into uh, the camera was quite similar to him. I wish I would have seen him there. You know, <laughs> I, didn't see him, I didn't even know he was there until after the fight. But apparently he wasn't. He was there. And uh, yeah, and one of the weirdest things I did was boun- I started bouncing and bouncing. And, and I must have been jumping like two or three feet in the air, four feet in the air. But you just don't have control at that moment. It's just a, such a release and... And just going back to the to watching the replay, if you watch it, I don't even hit him clean with my knuckles. I kind of hit him with the with like the ins not the inside of my hand, but it was kind of it's almost in a way a slap. It's not a full slap, but it is. But like it's mad that you know when you connect with the right punch at the right time, your opponent doesn't see it and the technique is right. It's a knockout. You yeah, know? and I, maybe I shouldn't be dampening your celebrations here, but is it just the case that when there's so much adrenaline and you've just achieved a knockout like that it's impossible to empathise with the other guy for that minute while you're celebrating um, I mean after yeah well like when you're just you're just in the moment you know what I mean it's, and it's, it's your moment raw, you're not even raw thinking emotion about and it's like you know what I mean it's, can you imagine like what a warrior has felt like years ago when they've you know what I mean killed an opponent or an enemy on the battlefield and that's what it is you're surviving it's your life and it's like now look at my like my future outlet outlook is just like so I can fight anybody in the world now off that and I can like that that moment will live me forever no matter how whatever I do in life I can look back and say yeah I knocked it I, I had a spectacular knockout at Madison Square Garden on HBO live and to millions of people all over the world saw it so that that's what it is but like I, I sympathize with John Jackson in the sense that he was in, he lost from a winning position and he got caught with a punch that you throw a hundred times, but it only ever has that impact maybe once, you know. It's huge exposure in America as well. Uh, you were trending on Twitter, I believe, directly afterwards, yourself and California Chrome <laughs> and the Stanley Cup Finals, I think, or something like that. I mean, that must be huge. Obviously, you've referenced the Madison Square Garden thing as well. 
and that's that. Both of those things are, are huge, huge things for you personally as well. Yeah, and it, it's it, it's it's mad. I don't. I mean, I smell. I came home and I haven't been out too much or not doing anything. But like it is, you know, I haven't really soaked up any of the reaction. But I just been, you know, doing what I usually do. But it's mad. It's mad. It's mad. But. It's great too, you know. It's it's good, and it's it's crazy to think that I it's me who's done it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah, just you know, oh yeah. But uh, you're retweeting your own. Moments yeah, I'm retweeting it. Like yeah. I've watched it now. Must at least I don't know how many times I've watched it. Like, does it got it's got a good few thousand views on YouTube, and I'm responsible for that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, oh, it's, it's it's a good feeling, you know, because going and, like I was saying, even you know, saying to my wife that it's been it's. Other than the Chavez and the rear fights, most of the time you're fighting where you're a heavy favorite in in these fights, you know. And so you're entering into these fights, not knowing which you train and you believe in yourself and you work hard and you do everything in earnest, but you still are, some part is unsure which way it's the outcome's going to be. And now that it's done, you can I can sit back and I can look at that and you know, it's just it's just a great feeling, yeah. you know, as it is. And you don't like you don't know which way it's going to swing. Even up until it's over. It was that, also yeah. your first official fight at light middleweight. Also, and the last time we had you in, we were talking about the new conditioning mm. you were doing to get into that. Is it too early to ask what the next fight is? What the next couple of steps are? I honestly don't know. Um, there's a lot of talk, and like I said, I could fight anybody off the back of that performance. Um, I'm been into I think I'm number three in the WBC now after that fight. So that pretty much puts me in in line for the title. Um, that um, Canelo Alvarez is fighting La- uh, Alessandro Lara I could fight the winner of that also could fight the winner of the main event which was Cotto Martinez and it's you know it's an exciting division and I'm right in the mix so uh, for the next couple of weeks I'm just going to sit back and then see what happens you know happy days and a happy birthday as well we should oh, also yeah. mention <laughs> I thought we could forget that <laughs> Andy's 30 30. wish him on a happy birthday fast approaching your prime Andy don't worry about yeah. that 30s <laughs> Prime, prime age. Listen, massive congratulations. Everyone's delighted for you, Andy. Thanks so much Thank for coming. Thank you very much for having me on. Mm. You remember my grandmother, no disrespect, when I used to get in trouble, she looked at me and said, hmm. And I know a butt whooping was coming at the back. I'm an alien. Think about it. Roy Jones is born. James, James, James Tony is born. I ran Barkley is born. But I'm telling you right now, I'm an alien. Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. I should have been on this game 15, maybe 20 years ago, man. And then that's why I said I'm an alien. I'm an alien. Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. But I'm telling you right now, I'm an alien. Did Google it and get your information? I'm an alien. He should be gone. I'm an alien. Google it. I'm an alien. Mm. I'm an alien. I'm an alien. I really enjoyed that chat, Murph. I am not going to lie. I think Andy enjoyed it. You could see as it progressed and the more he talked about the victory, he was buzzing again walking mm. out of here. The adrenaline. You're welcome, Andy. Yeah. You're welcome for all those questions and making me feel good about it. Yourself. Little adrenaline boost there for Andy. I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of a career, nearly. We won't say career defining yet, but it was a huge, huge moment in his career. Uh, and to throw a punch of such aesthetic um, 
beauty is a strange word to use in the in the terms in which we're using it here, but it was such an aesthetically pleasing punch uh, that it got such a huge reaction from so many people, boxing fans, non-boxing fans alike. I, I would say if he walks around with a smile on his face for the next couple of weeks, he probably deserves it. And he was too modest to drop any names there. You had to drop in the Cristiano Ronaldo, but... On his behalf, I'm going to drop a couple more, Murph, because mm-hmm. I know for a fact that 50 Cent was at that fight. Sorry, what cent? 50. 50. <laughs> 50 Cent. I mean, if I said that, then I'd probably be getting abused because I'm a country bumpkin. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's 50 Cent. That's what, that's what he says, says his name, right? And? Yeah. Do you know who was sitting directly in front of Andy for the Cotto-Martinez fight later on? Who? This is not good. It wasn't Tim Duncan. It wasn't quite Tim Duncan, but it was Pau Gasol. All six foot nine of them. He's probably maybe an inch smaller than, uh, shorter <laughs> than Tim Duncan. But uh, yeah, getting in Andy's way there. So hopefully Andy gave him a little yeah. clip and just... I'd, I'd like to be moving. sitting close to Pau Gasol, but I would not yeah. be like to, like to be sitting either either side of him or behind him. <laughs> no, he's, he's already large, in the Pau Gasol radius, to be honest a, with you. Yeah, he's a, he's a large boy. All right, coming up in World Cup, Irish Times, second captain's football. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm, walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to okay, you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawny man? <laughs> Ken Erdy is in Sao Paulo. Ken, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I don't know if you can hear the hubbub of conversation behind me but that's the global media uh, doing a lot of journalism it's like a giant uh, battery journalism farm uh, that i'm looking around at here row after row of men aged between 30 and 60 working away on laptops with angle poise completely redundant angle poise lamps uh, on the table in front of them i don't know why they bought so many lamps nobody is using pen and paper here everybody is using a computer with a self-illuminated screen but uh, that's the kind of thing that fifa provided so yes the football show uh, which is coming up later is going to include um well a lot of talk about the opening game which is uh, which is coming up a little bit later on today brazil against croatia so uh, Miguel Delaney and uh, Jonathan Wilson are in Sao Paulo here as well. Uh, so we'll be hearing from them. I think Richie Sadler is going to be in studio. He'll be here, To yep. uh, look at maybe Spain against, uh, Spain against Holland, which is the biggest game on Friday. Yeah, why not? It's uh, kind of an amazing start, the first couple of days. But Ken, whatever about all that, how are you settling into Sao Paulo there? Nice? Yeah, it's, great. it's actually great, Owen. I mean, uh, Sao Paulo is maybe a city that has a bit of a, a dirty reputation. Um, but... Uh, I've got to say that the city that it reminds me of is a place that I've never been to. Uh, that I, I wasn't even born when it existed. Uh, nevertheless, it reminds me of New York City in the 70s before Giuliani came along and swept all the scum off the streets. Uh, before, before, before New York was sanitized by the policy of zero tolerance, it was a, an edgier, funkier city. Uh, by all accounts, I, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't even alive sure. then. Um, but Sao Paulo... Uh, Sao Paulo seems to uh, seems to have retained that edge. Sure, um, there's that frisson of danger, but you know that just makes uh, things a little bit more exciting. And um, the part of the city that I'm staying in, anyway, <laughs> Owen and Caron, is uh, I must say very nice indeed. <laughs> I see what you're saying here, Ken. So may, there are some, you know, a lot of less salubrious areas around, but you're not in one. Well, of you're them. not in I'll one. You, so I'll, tell you, I'll tell you, Owen. Right, I, I mean, uh, I don't want to go on a moan here about the the organisation because I know how boring that is for everybody. 
Um, but there are two possible metro stops by which you can get to the stadium here, um, the Corinthians uh, Arena, or Arena Sao Paulo, as it's called uh, during the World Cup. Um, and I got off at the first one of these stops. I mean, FIFA indicate either one will do. First one of these stops and followed a series of uh, sort of banners FIFA, with bearing the FIFA logo saying, Stadium, this way. Uh, and as I followed these banners, I kind of followed them and found myself in a sort of dusty warren of streets um, with no apparent stadium anywhere in sight. Um, and I was making my way up the hill into this uh, dense uh, cluster of, uh, of houses. Uh, I saw a man coming the other direction who it became apparent uh, from a distance while I was sort of staring at me. Uh, and as I continued to walk towards him and he towards me, uh, as he came within earshot, he uh, wagged his finger in the air and he said, no, no. Uh, and pointed, pointed to the place where I seemed to be walking and said, no, <laughs> you, no, don't go there. That's not for you. I don't know where you think you're going, but it's probably not up there. So I said, okay, okay, you know, Arena, Arena Corinthians? Uh, and he said, yeah, yeah. But essentially, basically, the, the opposite direction to the one that I've been indicated, I should be walking by the, uh, by the FIFA banner. So, you know, eventually I got to the stadium. That, that was great. You know, I don't know what, what I would have found up that hill, uh, but apparently it wasn't a good idea to go up there. All right, Kenneth, we'll let you get back to your media chums there. Sounds like you're having a great time, everyone. Journal, journalizing. journalizing away there in the background yeah. on their their journalistic machines, <laughs> 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 machines. lamps unnecessary lamps seems to be the big gripe journalistic God. gripe so far I mean you know it's I like the way that the journalists are giving out about something that has, is there that they don't need yeah you sure, I, sure you got to give out about the things that aren't there that you do need but we'll talk uh, loads of Kennedy a little bit later on looking forward to that Lawrence Donegan author of Four Iron in the Soul is on the line now to look ahead to the US Open golf, which starts later on, Lawrence. And we're nothing if not predictable in this show, so I'm going to ask you, what are Rory's chances? I, I, actually, I think he's got a really good chance. Uh, he won at Wentworth a couple of weeks ago, went to uh, Memorial after that, and I think it was shot, I think it was a 62 or a 63 in the first round. Faded a little bit after that, but he's playing really well. Um, and this golf course really suits him. It's not a traditional US Open golf course. Normally, we, we kind of look at these U.S. home golf courses. The fairways are about 15 yards wide and the rough is about three foot tall. Um, this year is completely different. Pinehurst number two, remodeled by Crenshaw and Coor, two fam- well, Ben Crenshaw, everybody was heard of. Uh, it's wide open fairways, no rough. So that really plays into Rory's game, which is all about you know just blasting the drives out there and then you know hitting in a good approach shot. He's a great, nobody hits his irons better than Rory. Uh, pretty good short game as usual with Rory it comes down to the putting uh, he's very streaky but you know this season he's been holding his, he's been holding his share as long as he stays away from the, the missed two footers you've got to really fancy his chances the big story around his victory at Wentworth had been the breakup with yeah. Carolyn Wozniacki which yeah. uh, was understandable that everybody was fascinated by that but in pure golfing terms how important oh. was it that he actually got another win under his belt well, yeah, because well, he'd won in December uh, in Australia. He hadn't, he'd been playing well, but he hadn't won for you know five, five or six months. Uh, the thing about the Wentworth thing, he hates that golf course. <laughs> Absolutely hates it. Uh, you know, I've seen him there. Uh, you know, just can't wait to go on a Friday night. You know, happily missing the cut. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, a lot of people are like that. Uh, but to go there. And, you know, it's a very tight, narrow golf, very tricksy kind of golf course. Not the kind of golf course that he usually plays on. So for him to, to come through and win there and really play really well, uh, that, was a, that was a really significant victory, you know. Uh, plus, it, you know, nothing breeds winning like winning. You, you know, these guys need confidence, and, and he, must, he must be, his must be 
really sky high right now. I'd imagine his playing partner, Graham McDowell, should have sky high confidence in the Greens. Anyway, he's ranked number one in total number putting one. on the PGA Tour, which is <laughs> fairly, uh, fairly outstanding stuff from McDowell. Well, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I, I, see, I, just, I looked it up yesterday. I could believe it. Number one. Um, the, the thing about McDowell, though, it, you know, it's a 7,500 and something yard golf course. Thunderstorms, the rain will be thunderstorms, or so 40-50% chance of thunderstorms every day, so the golf course will be playing pretty, pretty long if, it, if it's damp. Uh, and you, caught, you know, that might not, you know, that might be a problem for McDowell. But if he can get it on the greens and the, the you know, the requisite number of shots, I mean, he's putting really great. What was interesting to me, though, about that is, well, McDowell and McElroy are playing together in the first two rounds. Mm. I mean, I think the USGA probably thought, well, we'll put their two buddies together. I'm, I'm not sure they're as tight as they used to be. So I will be watching that, not only for the golf, but also for the body language. Is that purely because they are not in the same stable anymore? Is there more to it than that? Uh, uh, do you know what? I, I, I mean, who knows? You know, I have no idea. I, you know, I think that... When does that court case come? I think it's in October, isn't it? Um, yeah. I'll be interested. Well, I'm not sure exactly when it is. I, I actually, think it is. You know, I think that's when the next hearing's due. Yeah, you know, I just think... Well, I just think they're probably not as... I mean, that, that happens, doesn't it? I mean, as I say, I'll be watching for the golf, but I'll also be... Because I'm, I'm like that, you know. I'll be watching for the body language. I just want to see. I want to see how that is. I'm sure I'll be amiable enough, but um, I, I don't think they're as tight as they used to be. It is interesting that you bring that up, Lawrence, mm. because golf is a funny sport in that oh. you could. And I'm sure there are people with proper uh, broken relationships who've had to play, or who never had a relationship to begin with, who've yeah. had to play with each other for five hours, four or oh. five hours, and then four or five hours the next day. And who knows if they're doing well. They might you know both be together for the entire weekend. Do you know what? Uh, years gone by, the US, uh, the United States Golf Association, they're a pretty stuffy outfit, but um, years gone by, I, I'm not sure, I haven't really had a close look at the draw this year, but years gone by, they used to do it deliberately. You know, they would, you know, they would, you, they would pick out, pay, put players together for particular reasons. You know, they'd put the three slowest players together just for a laugh, and they'd put two guys together that they knew that everybody knew absolutely loathed each other <laughs> just I think whoever was doing the pairings at the time he just did it for you know his own self amusement <laughs> um, but it's uh, it, is, it happens you know you know, Azinger and Ballesteros oh my goodness just you know, they just loathed each other Mark McCumber and Greg Norman I mean I think Norman refused to sign Mark McCumber's scorecard one day because he thought he'd cheated you know and oh, I mean it's it's, again, for somebody like me, and I love golf, but you can also love the kind of personal, personal, you know, interaction side of it and the body language side of it. I mean, I, I probably won for the aficionados, but it, it's quite good fun actually. Mickelson is another one himself in yeah. Woods, I guess. And Mickelson himself was uh, interviewed by FBI agents, part of an investigation into yeah. insider trading. Now he says yeah. he's got no involvement in any of it. He just had to talk to these guys. Uh, yeah. Is this the kind of thing that could? That 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 will um, I don't know will it be smirch his reputation in in any way or well, can we take well, him at face value? Let's be careful a minute. Uh, no, uh, well, you know, no. Well, who knows? You know, because who knows where where it goes? Uh, I've read up a lot on this. You know, it seems a fairly tenuous really? kind of case. And people will say, oh, well, oh, look what happened to Martha Stewart. I mean, she was a kind of life, you know, a lifestyle guru who was done on a kind of insider trading type of thing. But she wasn't uh, convicted on, on, on the insider trading. She was convicted for, for lying to federal agents. 
you know, as long as Mickelson has been telling the truth, and which I'm sure he has, and, you know, it seems to be a pretty flimsy case. What's interesting to me is how did it get in the papers? You know, that, 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 you know how did it get leaked? I mean, who leaked that? You know, and what, why would they leak it? I mean, that's, again, that's, that's just me. Uh, but Mickelson's, a, again, if you read all this stuff from last week pretty closely, he was actually first approached, I think it was, you know, a year ago or something. So he's known about this for a year, you know. That this might be coming. Um, so uh, you know he's a guy. He's played he's played great golf with a lot going on in his life. So I can't imagine it'll affect his golf. What what the problem with him is is you know he hasn't had a top ten finish in seventeen outings. You know he, I think he finished eleventh in Memphis last week and came off and said, well I'm hitting the ball crap and I'm putting awfully. There's going to have to be changes. Now, he's a sentimental favourite, and over here, it's wall-to-wall Phil Mickelson, you know, 24-7, it's all about Phil. But uh, he's, the truth is, he's actually not playing very well. Um, he's got a pretty good record at Piners. He came, famously came second in 1999. Payne Stewart hold an 18-foot in the last to, to beat him uh, in 1999. Um, again, the golf course puts a lot of emphasis on creativity on and around the greens, and Mickelson's traditionally, that's been the strongest thing. But the plain fact is just not playing very well. And I mean, is he, will he be able to elevate his game to the level required this week? And it's, you know, given that he's playing, he's been playing so badly for the last six months. Mm, you have to doubt that. Who are you going for, Lawrence? Oh, I, I think Rory. I think Rory. You know, I, I just can't see anybody else. Uh, you know, he's playing great. The golf course suits him. Uh, you know, he hits some miles. He's, you know, as long as he doesn't, you know, he's got this terrible habit of of missing. You know. You know, putts that I wouldn't miss. You know, and if you miss one or two of them in a week, you know, that's too short. You know, that's that's the difference between winning the U.S. Open and, and not winning it. So if you can just putt properly, you know, you know, it's just hard, it's hard to see past them. Lawrence Donegan, great to talk to you as always. Thanks a million. All the best, Don. Take care, mate. We didn't even mention Shane Lowry, who qualified in first place uh, the day after. If you remember, that was the day after the second he got at Wentworth. He was immediately up and off to qualify mm-hmm. just a couple of rounds in the 60s there to make it into the US Open so best of luck to Shane Lowry as well Murph we're talking hurling now the GA have acted quickly this week after acting a little bit slowly through the first mm. six months of the year on the topic of what constitutes a correct penalty and how it can be defended yeah it, it was kind of a strange one because everyone knew there was going to be a problem with the Anthony Nash freeze there was a motion uh, presented to Congress that was subsequently not even voted on because of someone someone didn't cross the T or dot the lowercase j or whatever so uh, the motion wasn't heard at Congress but then the the real moment that changed was Stephen O'Keefe the Waterford goalkeeper charging out at Anthony Nash's uh, penalty in the replay of their Munster uh, semi-final last Sunday and it became clear to anyone watching that this this had to change because this is unbelievably unsafe uh, situation where Anthony Ash was basically striking the ball from inside the 13 metre line uh, Stephen O'Keefe used the rules as he saw them to allow him to ch- basically charge directly at uh, the goalkeeper and you're talking about the equivalent of walking up to the baseball pitcher's mound uh, say 6 feet away from a baseball pitcher and asking a pitcher to throw the ball directly at your chest throw your fastball directly at my chest please and not have any padding on your chest or anything like that to have a head guard but have nothing else covering the rest of your body and whatever about how unfair it is from the point of view of uh, the rule being changed in midstream which I've never seen in the GA before changing a rule like this <laughs> Often in it takes the middle a, of a championship a year or sometimes five years yeah to, to get a rule changed uh, 
I happen to think that on this particular occasion, they've done it right because if they didn't do it now, they could be doing it on the back of a really grievous injury and no one wants that. Oh yeah, I think they're 100% right. I think it should have been done earlier in the year. Now, it seems that there was, uh, there, you know, I think the consensus seemed to be that maybe it would have been defeated and that could have been part of the issue on top of the administrative mm-hmm. error or the drafting error, which is why it wasn't voted on earlier on in the year. I do think they're right to bring the rule in. I don't know if it's as thought thought through as it could possibly be. And certainly, certainly there was an almost vitriolic reaction uh, initially last night. A lot of people making the point that this is going to lead. That essentially now, if a uh, player is running through, he's 20 yards out, just take him down. Because it's not even a choice from a defender's point, from of, defender's view point of view. Because you're going to have a couple of men back on the line and the goalkeeper. Well, this is assuming it's a penalty and the penalty will now be taken from... What is the actual distance? This is the point that should be raised. It, it, a 20-metre free should really be a 20-metre free, I think. And a penalty should be a, a penalty from... I don't. I'm trying to think of another sport where the foul is committed, and then you're able, you're allowed. The distance means a totally different thing. To, yeah. Everyone yeah. tries it, of course. People try yeah. and move the ball forward a couple of bit, you know, a couple of yards in football and in soccer and in loads of sports. But we are joined by Chrissy O'Connor to talk about this. And Chrissy, as a GA journalist, and maybe more importantly, as a goalkeeper, are you happy with the new interpretation? Um. Yes and no, and I think um, I still think the GA have missed a little bit of a beat here. Um, first of all, I would completely agree with the principle behind changing it. I, I do think like that it had become too dangerous, um, and like, there's no there's no doubt about it. Like that, if you know one of those balls hit somebody into the throat, like or even into your even into your chest, around your rib cage, near your heart, like I think it could do you know serious serious damage. Like even you know if it hit you into the throat, I think it could kill you. Like the the, the power that ball is traveling at. So that's the first thing that had to be. Addressed, right? Um, I think they've done that, but I still think that um, you know. I think now that the big thing is that there's no deterrent there. I think you know. Um, there's been talk about cynical play and fairness to Nash. Nash brought first brought this up back, I think, last December, where he felt that if you know the the rule was changed to you know as it is now, where you you know maybe lift the ball from 27 meters out and you strike it at the 20 meter line, that it would force maybe more cynical play, where you know defenders would say, right. Okay, let's pull this guy down. Let's pack the goals with twelve players, and you know it's going to take a fair shot to beat you know beat a defence or beat a keeper from that distance. Um, I still think that you know if a Nash if Nash connects properly on it from twenty metres, you know I still think it's going to take a fair save to save it. But like there's not too many Nashes around, and um, that's why I think they have missed the beat. Lads. My, my um, belief on it, and I, you know from even speaking to a few keepers about this, um, you know I just think that for a penalty they should have just met it one on one, like mm. you know like okay, bring it back to 27 metres or even 23 metres if you want to strike it from the 20 metre line. And, you know, I think, you know, keepers are well used to dealing with one-on-ones, um, you know, making a straight shootout. If you look at all, you know, some of the best drama in world sport, like is, you know, it's a penalty, soccer, hockey, whatever, um, ice hockey, you know, um, it, I, I think that's what keepers would actually prefer. Um, you know, sometimes when you have 12 guys on the line, you know, it actually can be a bit restrictive. Like, you know, they can get guys crossing and guys will be coming in front of you. And I still don't think that they're going to be able to police it, lads. Because you're talking about 20 metres. Like, there's no way that, the you know, the goalie and four or five defenders are going to stand on the line. You're going to have the keeper out maybe a couple of yards, which he normally does. Um, so, you know, who's policing that as well? Like, I think if you have everybody standing on the line, you know, your natural instinct is to move forward to kind of be attacked the ball. So I just think that... Um, you know, if they had met at one-on-one and maybe, you know, three in for a, a 20-metre free, um, I think it would have been fair. But I, I suppose the bottom line is it had to be changed because it really was becoming a bit of a circus. Yeah, the one-on-one suggestion 
seems to me to be uh, fairly a really obvious one. And this is the, this is the issue with maybe the circumstances surrounding the change because initially this was supposed to be discussed at Congress or, or uh, and yeah, and then that then, then that was dropped for whatever reason, there seemed to be an idea that maybe we just wouldn't have the support, but um, there might have been a proper discussion on it then, whereas what happened now was they seemed to panic based on one incident and brought in a new rule. Everybody, a lot of people accept that there should have been something done, but there there doesn't seem to have been any proper debate around it. No, it's a very good point, Owen, and I think really, if you look at, you you know, in fairness, Anthony Nash is probably getting a lot of, you know, focus, and there's a huge amount of, you know, talk about this, being the Anthony Nash rule, right? But if, I suppose if you look at it from last year, there's no question that there has been a copycat trend. Um, you know, I would say Owen Riley from Leash is doing it. Seamus Callan from Tipperary has been practicing it. The Clare boys have been at it. Shane Dowling from Limerick. Um, you know, TJ Reid, like, you know, like Nash sent a really funny tweet, like after the, the league final when, you know, TJ brought into maybe 13 metres and buried it. And Nash said, you know, I can't believe he's been allowed to do that. And, I suppose, you know, Nash was probably right that, you know, why is all the focus on him? So, um, you know, there, there was, like, there was definitely an issue going into the Champions. If you were even looking at the league, you could say, right, this isn't just down to Nash now. And maybe the, the GA underestimated this, that they felt, well, this is only applied to Nash. And, you know, Cork objected to it and they said, OK, well, let's just back off then. But, um, you know, like, if you even look at the league final, um, like, TJ Reid took an absolute rocket of a penalty in the second half and it actually hit, it clipped Bernard Maher's helmet, like, you know, um, you know, maybe a couple of, couple of inches lower, you know, if that heads for his face guard and goes through his face guard, that's going to cause serious damage. So, yeah, I think that there should have been more debate. Like, And I think, you know, there's been so much uncertainty about the whole thing, lads, in the last couple of weeks, like where, you know, you've had, you know, the Sunday game saying on Sunday night that, OK, once the ball is in play, um, you know, then the keeper can charge. So Stephen O'Keefe felt within his rights. Then you hear stories about the Limerick guys being told, you know, the previous week that, you know, they have to stay on the line. And it's just like it's this whole convoluted mess really um, you know like like even you know like a couple of guys told me there during the week like before any of this was discussed that they were even you know I won't name the team now but they were even thinking okay let's let's put our fastest for, forward right on the 21 and as soon as let's say if you play Cork as soon as Nash strikes the ball okay get him to tear in after it and maybe get him to try and flick the ball away so like it was becoming a complete circus and I think that the GA maybe underestimated um, you know how big this thing had become because if you you know, if you looked at it from the start of the championship, there's definitely a copycat trend there. And it wasn't just Nash. And I think, you know, it's really, um, you know, when you have uncertainty and when you have, let's say, goalies who feel, well, this rule is not being applied properly. There's an anomaly here. You know, we have to stay. We can't charge the ball down. But yes, this guy can bring it into 11 metres. So, like, you know, they, they feel, well, if he's not being punished, well, we're not, why should we be punished? So, like, when you have that uncertainty, you always have players who will maybe try and exploit grey areas. And I think as well, if you even look at it, lads, if you go back to the, the league um, quarterfinal against Tip, right? Like Nash actually brought the ball in that, that day to 11 metres, okay? And um, like Damien Young did a, you know, the former Tip keeper did a superb study on, um, on that whole, uh, just that whole area with Nash and, and um, penalty strikers. And, you know, he, he, he actually used a speed gun and, um, he, he took a it's kind of a case study with um you know twenty meter freeze and the fastest record it was one hundred and forty k an hour right with, with a reaction time of five hundred and ten milliseconds right um you know there's a number of variables but if the ball was struck from thirteen meters reaction time was three hundred and thirty milliseconds okay so 
So, like, you know, you ask how fast is that? Like, the human blink is between 200 and 400 milliseconds. So, really, that's how fast that ball is travelling. And the day of the uh, the league quarterfinal, like, he tracked from the minute, the, as soon as the ball left Nash's stick to, um, you know, hit the back of the net. You're talking about a reaction, the speed of 360 milliseconds, which is absolutely lethal. If that ball hits you, lads, I'm telling you, forget about it, you know. So, something had to be done. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's a strange thing from this. From if you look around sports, say when when Tiger Woods first came on the the scene in golf, and he was driving the ball untold distances, there was talk that they had to tiger-proof courses. So basically, he was so good that they had to change the sport. This actually isn't what's happening with Anthony Nash, though, because he's actually won for three in championship penalties. He scored one and missed two, so it's not a case of them trying to prevent someone who's demonstrably better at something they're not taking that advantage away from him necessarily it's actually just purely a safety thing which I think is, is kind of, so it's it's really unfair to really to call it the Nash rule in that his excellent his excellence isn't why this rule has been brought in it's 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 just purely a safety thing yeah like like if you look at Nash um more like would say like even in the All-Ireland finals last year like he two from five now look at he like you know there was one brilliant save in the drawing game, and uh, like Pat Kelly, like displayed unbelievable bravery in the the drawing game as well for the first one. But if you look at Nash's style, right, like he does, it, it, there is a, there is a huge element of risk to it because he he propels the ball so far forward. Like, and you know, the goal he scored in the the replay last year, you know, superb improvisation for him because you know he he kind of got the strike wrong. He had to rush his feet. He had to kind of rush his hand speed. Um, didn't strike it probably as well as he as he would have liked. You know, and he, he has that. Like, to be honest with you, Nash doesn't need to do what he's doing. You know, Nash has a super strike. Um, but I think a lot of it is, it's psychological that he knows that if this if he's, you know, propelling that ball so far forward, it's going into 11 metres. Like, you know, you're inside saying, to be honest with you, if I was inside and goals, I'd be just pr- saying my prayers that it wouldn't hit me. That's being honest about it. Because yeah, is, is there a huge fear there, Christy, when you're facing a, obviously you've been a goalkeeper at the highest level. I mean, is there a huge fear when you're facing the very best in the business, when you're talking about those speeds? Yeah, well, look, at, I suppose, I think, um, you know, on, on a given day, like on, on a match day, like you're prepared to do anything, but like, um, and you, you know, you will maybe put your body on the line, but I see, I don't know, as like really, it's it's kind of um, like the speed that ball is travelling, it really is like a bullet. If you look at the goal he scored in the drawn final last year, I'd love to have got a recording on that speed because I tell you, if it came out of a bazooka, I don't think it would have been any faster. It was an absolute rocket. And, you know, if that hits you, really, if that hits you in the wrong place, like, you are in serious, serious trouble. And I think that is the kernel here. But, like, I think it is unfair on Nash as well because, you know, um, like, he, he, you could say he's been punished for his skill, okay? But I think they know that maybe even from, maybe even from Nash's perspective, I think, you know, if you were to ask him, you know, I'm sure that he would, he would prefer if it was a one-on-one because, like, even the, like, the way Nash is striking that ball, and if Nash... Like did hit somebody, God forbid, and did do serious damage. Like you know, that, like that's something that he would have to carry as well. And I think like that the fairest option would be okay. Let's let's go let's go one on one. Okay, let let if Nash wants to go for power, let him go for power. But if he's if he's going to the corner, um, you know, then there's less of a chance and there's there's less of a propensity for injury. But um, you know, I I, I don't think that people actually realise how fast that ball is travelling. Yeah, and that is the big thing. I'm going to predict right now uh, that 
Chrissy, there is going to be a penalty for Cork in the game against Clare. <laughs> but that's the only prediction I'm prepared to make because I think this is a pretty hard one to call. Um, this is the classic situation where you've got one team who's already battle-hardened, another team in Clare who maybe don't need to be. That we, we know their training is so good that maybe they'll come into this, they'll hit the ground running as the cliche goes. Yeah, and I think if you looked at the under-21 performance last week... Um, you know, against Limerick, like, you know, the senior players played really, really well, like, and I think that's a, kind of a sign that, you know, they are going well and they think they're happy where they're at. And I suppose, look, at tactically, you know, Clare will feel, um, like, you go back to last Sunday, or, you know, like, Waterford, I suppose, would have played a lot like Clare. Now, look, at you could say, well, Waterford, have, you know, maybe they go at one game plan, maybe that's a bit harsh. I'm not 100% sure, you know, what they have in their locker, but um, from what I saw, like, the, the one game plan they used against Cork was very similar to how Clare played, but you know Clare are a different animal. Clare have you know they're very very comfortable with their system. You know it's very tactically fluid, very adjustable. Like they they claim to have at least seven variations of of game plans. I don't know how, you know if they can actually have that many, but um, you know like Clare have the players to maybe you know maybe go at Cork and we we'll say if you even look at Cork now, I think they are there is a little change in their you know it's still absolute out no conventional hurling. Um, you know, but I think there are a few subtle changes in Mark Ellis is playing more of a hole in centre back. Um, Bill Cooper plays maybe a little bit deeper. Um, you know, I'm sure you'll see maybe Aidan Walsh playing a little bit deeper as well. And maybe that a lot of that will come from the players. But you know, clear, you know, clear will throw something different at Cork, and I think that's the one thing that, from Clare's perspective, I think Clare are pretty confident of what Cork are going to do. Like, and I think that was a factor last year. Like that, you know, no matter what, you know, that Clare played Cork six times last year between Waterford Crystal League. Championship and Cork did the same thing every time. Whereas, like Clare, you know, they will throw something at you and they'll throw something different at Cork on Sunday. So, I think that that kind of there's no question about it that Cork have momentum now, they have game time, they have confidence. You know, they've had eight, eight players who played against Waterford didn't see, you know, play in the championship last year. You know, that is a factor as well. Like, they have more depth now. Um, but I think as well, like Clare, you know, maybe tactically and how Clare study teams, I think that maybe. You know, and given that they know what Cork are probably going to do, I think that does even up the, the stakes a, a fair bit. Chris O'Connor, brilliant stuff, thank you. Pleasure, Owen, thank you. I knew the place. Clough, as he calls me Rabbi, didn't know them. He said to me, what can you do that the boss hasn't done? You, the boss. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. There's no way you can win it better. Why not? Really lo- no, 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 no. But that's the only hope we're, we're, I've we're got. We're only lost four matches. Then but that, well, that I can only look straight. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. Clough, as he calls me, Ravi. Good luck. Now, that might, that might be, you know, aiming for utopia, and it might, be, might mean being a little bit stupid. But that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that... I want to be like me. It's an interesting point that Chrissy made earlier that Nash himself, maybe consciously or subconsciously, might be pleased to be taken out of this situation now that he's not going to be the person who causes any damage. Because that's what does need to be stressed here, that all these sports people are out there trying to score a goal for their county. Mm. It's not as though anyone's trying to inflict any pain on any, anybody else but the rule makers in any sport have to be the ones who have the overall responsibility for making it as safe as possible no sport and, and certainly there's no way hurling could be 100% safe yeah. uh, because you could get injured out, out the field as players have and you could potentially get badly injured but uh, thankfully it doesn't happen too often I did just want to make the point I didn't make it a Christie there that 
this could be completely nonsensical, Murph, but with the penalty being taken from further out, I'd like to think that maybe players will rely more on ball manipulation. Mm. Well, Christy did make a point, make the point even even in passing that. It's, at the moment, it's just raw power. Yeah. It's, it, the faster you can hit the ball... Sh- well, I mean, th- there is... Some do bounce the ball in, f- in front of the goalkeeper and, and try and make it difficult that way. But there are basically two types. There, you can hit it high or hit it low. I mean, if it's one-on-one, you pick your spot. I think it gives the goalie a good chance, but it also gives the taker an excellent chance at, at scoring. I mean, I, I would have thought even a compromise of two on the goal line, a goalie and one other, would at least go some way towards addressing the balance but I was very interested to hear Christy there having spoken to a few goalkeepers having been a goalkeeper himself if if they think it's fair to have it one on one then I think maybe that's the rule that we might end up with this time next year or, or after even Congress. in another week could you just make them keep changing it every week you know? well depending, depending on uh, how many penalties are awarded at, uh, in any given weekend if yeah. there's a penalty this weekend and as you said there probably will be uh, then we can We'll, we'll trial this version of the rules. I want to see come back next week and see what happens. I want to see more Paul Flynn topspin freeze. Mm. That's what I'm talking. about. you know, you like know how I said Sam with Paul Flynn's topspin freeze. 2004, we talked about this. Four Munster final. Yeah, 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 that's it. Never stop talking about it. You are you do bang on about that a little more <laughs> than other hurling goals <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that shall remain nameless. All right, Irish Times second captain's football podcast coming up from Sao Paulo a little bit later on today. We're all looking forward to that. We're also looking forward to next week because from Monday through to Thursday. We'll have six shows. That was six shows, including World Cup programs, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. You can listen to all those through the usual channels, iTunes, SoundCloud, the Podcast Republic app, if you have an Android. And while you're waiting for those programs, and indeed for our show later on, get on to irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts, and you can listen to all the, the great online audio that your mm. ears I mean, it's, can it's, take. It's basically a supermarket. Uh, containing all of your it's a high quality needs. supermarket, I say. yeah, like um, Sainsbury's. What's the, no Waitrose? Is that the one that uh, that Mourinho was oh, insistent on buying his eggs in? Anyway, the good one. That's what irishtimes.com forward slash podcast is. In the meantime, Murph, thank you, thank you, Owen. Thanks so much for listening. We'll chat to you a little bit later on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.